Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cloak and Dagger podcast. My name is Will Davis Coleman and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Patrick Courtney. Hi Will, how are you doing? I'm okay, enjoying uh, the Danish sunshine today. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've been enjoying the freezing British weather because we've had an awful cold snap. It was snowing the other day. It was like sunny and like brilliant summer weather like two weeks ago and now it's partway snowing it's freezing it the fuel's really expensive now so i can't put the heating on it's yeah it's it's it's, it's like a good time. it's the whole so i don't, whole I don't want to start like ranting about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's all good um so yes welcome back to another episode today uh patrick will be taking us through um his first battle of this series um as we mentioned in our last episode this is just going to be a mini-series, so four episodes. Um, one, We're doing two each, obviously. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I don't know what uh, Patrick's going to be telling us uh, today, but I'm really looking forward to hearing it. Um, if you want to um, get the full experience for the podcast, please uh, follow us on Instagram, at Cloak and Dagger Podcast, because we post loads and loads and loads of things about uh, each episode, including, mm. like lots of visuals about what we're going to see. And it really can... The thing that we can't do is obviously show you visuals in the podcast. So the only way to do it is through Instagram. So at Cloak and Dagger Podcast is where you can find us. And yeah. Um, yeah, Patrick, yeah. What, I'd what say... You, I'd, well, I'd say even even for this one, more than ever... Well, maybe not more than ever. We normally find some pretty cool stuff for all the, all the episodes we do. But for this one in particular, because this one uh, is set in the 1940s, which... If you don't know, photography had been invented by then, so we've got some good imagery of the uh, characters and people who are involved in this story. So if you want to take a look at and see what kind of these what these people look like, and it's really interesting um, and stuff, and you can really you know put a face to a name, you can visualize it, you can understand it. So yeah, highly recommend you check out the Instagram. But yeah, without further ado, I can dive into today's episode. Which if you didn't listen to uh, last week's episode we will be jumping into 1945 in austria which if you know history is a pretty pretty tumultuous time uh, in in the world so so that's where we're going to today Okay, so like I said in the intro, um, we will be looking at 1945, actually May 1945 in Austria. And this is really at the kind of tail end of World War II. So by this time, the Soviets had taken Berlin and actually a few days prior to our story, Hitler has committed suicide. So this really is the end of the war and it really is when... Uh, the whole Nazi regime is collapsing uh, in on itself and it's really kind of no hope and the Allies have completely won. There is still war in Japan, so there is still uh, war in the East, but that's a few months away from ending rather dramatically as well. But in in Europe, Germany is on the back foot and most of the Nazis are realising that their end is nigh. It's funny, like, when... When you think about uh, World War Two, there's victory in Europe and then victory for the whole thing. Like they have mm. VE Day because, like, although the war is ended in one theater, it carries on from. It must have been such a weird time. Like, oh, you want to celebrate, yeah. but there's still people dying the other side of the world in the mm. same conflict. And I mean, t- you know, and, and between two nations, I mean, obviously there were European nations in the East, and this is getting wildly off topic, but you know, <laughs> the East is very much. America versus Japan, two countries who weren't involved at the beginning of this war. It's kind of a knock-on war that happens after the European war. So it's this, it is a very strange thing that these two nations who stayed out of it at the beginning are now the last ones still fighting. Well, I mean, and it's not, I guess, you know, Europe, the war has to end at some point because otherwise Europe just slowly gets more and more destroyed. I mean, our story takes place in Austria and Austria along with Germany and Poland and France has just been wrecked from this war and is in a real dire state Um, but to dive into this uh, episode I'm actually going to start with our walkthrough because I thought I don't know why I thought it was more fun to start with a walkthrough yeah (laughs) love it okay let's do it Um, possibly because I mean most of our listeners and I know you and I think most people have a pretty good idea of 
World War II politics and, and everything that's going on, you know, at least a rough idea. It's not something I really need to set up. So let's start yeah. with, with a walkthrough. And for our walkthrough, we will be following uh, an elderly woman named Marie Agnes Caillot on the night of the 4th of May, 1945. So Marie, I've realised, maybe I should call her Marie Agnes. It's Marie-Agnes. Does that mean her Marie. full name is... I don't. Or can I call her Marie? I don't know how French names work. You can work. definitely call her Marie. It's okay. <laughs> okay, I'll call her Marie. She's not around anymore. So she, but I'd feel bad because I quite like her. So, um, so I'll just call you. her Marie. But apologies if that's incorrect. So Marie is 56. Uh, but despite her age, she is not just a sweet old lady. She is, in fact, a French resistance fighter. Uh, she's actually, and I don't know if you'll know uh, this figure, but she's actually the older, fi the older sister of Charles de Gaulle, who is oh. the, yeah, who's the French army officer and statesman who kind of leads the exiled French government. They're called like Free French um, yeah. uh, during the war, because obviously France is completely rolled over, but the French government kind of exists. I don't actually know where, which is interesting. Well, they're, they're, they, I think they're in, they're in London. Algeria hmm. remained free from the Vichy France, oh, who were the Nazi. There was like yes. a Nazi French government called the Vichy French. Hmm. But anyway, I didn't know that. Okay, cool. So, so yeah, Marie so Marie is Charles sister. Yeah, Marie is his older sister, and she has been captured. So quite a few members of the de Gaulle family are captured throughout the war because obviously he's such an important figure that they want to go after his his family. So Marie, for the last two years, has been moved from prison to prison under the orders of Heinrich Himmler, and she has now found herself in a castle in Western Austria called Ita Castle. And cool. Ita Castle is a fortress built above a village called Ita, hence why it's called Ita Castle, uh, and it actually has existed in some form or other at least since the 13th century, although it has been knocked down, put into ruins, and rebuilt a number of times. But the castle itself is kind of built upon these more ancient ruins. However, in 1943, because it was in Austria, and Austria was obviously very much annexed and taken over by Nazi Germany, in, by 1943 it had been seized and turned into a Nazi prison. So that is where Marie has found herself in 1945 in this uh, rather strange situation in an Austrian castle, but under lock and key from the Nazi government. The hell of a setup <laughs> for this story. So actually there's still a little setup to go because on this night, the night of the 4th of May, 1945, due to some unusual circumstances, which I'll get into later, the guards of the prison are no longer around. So Marie is able to move about the castle as much as she wants. Although actually she was given a fairly good amount of reign of the castle when the guards were there, but they are nowhere to be seen and she is able to just wander about the castle at will. So she's, but she's still incarcerated, like she's still a prisoner, or is she not? I don't no. know, that's weird. So she is still in the castle, which has been her prison for the last few months, but she is no longer a prisoner. When she was a prisoner, um, and when the guards were still there, she was actually treated rather well because what's interesting about this particular prison is that it wasn't just a prison for um, prisoners of war or anything like that. This prison was specifically set up to house French VIPs. And that's not like a, you know, the VIP lounge at a club. That's high profile French citizens who aren't soldiers but are deeply important and so could be used as bargaining chips or as leverage uh, for the German high command. So this is what this prison was. It's very much for elite VIPs. Um, not in a way that, you know, and although they are treated nicer than probably other, um, other captives, it's probably more because they need to be unmolested, undamaged, if they're going to be traded back uh, for, for, for other kind of equals that have been captured um, by the yeah, allies. Yeah, yeah. So they need okay. to be kind of treated nicely, not because they're particularly you know, well-loved by their, their German and their Nazi guards. They're like, a, they're a precious commodity that can be traded, so you don't, you don't want damaged goods. Absolutely. Talking about Absolutely. them like they're fruit or something. But yeah. Obviously human <laughs> yeah. beings. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is a bit, a bit grim. But, I mean, in the grand scheme of things of uh, grim treatment of prisoners in World War II, this is a, this is a remarkably nicer um, environment that they're staying in. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. 
So as Marie walks through the halls of the castle, she possibly would pass um, two ex-prime ministers of France, uh, one Edouard Dalidier or Paul Renault. I think I got those right. I'm not the best. I, I never learnt French, so I feel like I always butcher French names more than any other ones because I know people will know it better, but and I know you'll know it better, but... Well, I'm not going to correct it. It's all good. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, those French prime ministers could possibly be having dinner or a drink with a couple of former French commanders-in-chief, maybe a trade union leader. These are the kind of people who would be inhabitants of Ita Castle. And she might even run across uh, another famous figure, a famous French tennis player called Jean Borotra, who is actually quite a famous tennis player in that there's, a, there's an award given out to, I think um, Federer was given, a, was given the Jean Borotra tennis award. I'm not entirely sure what for, presumably because he's just very good at tennis. But it's a, a famous figure in the presumably. world of tennis. And this was one of the other captives. I guess another VIP, French VIP, they wanted to... I wonder how he got caught. Like, what was, what was he doing? Was he on a tennis court at the time? Or was he joined up? Or It's very you know, like <laughs> Yeah, I don't know a huge amount about him. And maybe I should have written him. But I wonder if he would have been... Because he, he was a fairly... He wasn't old. Um, whereas the other prime ministers, they were quite elderly men. Uh, John was, was it? Yeah. yeah, was a younger guy. So possibly he was a soldier, and they just went, "That guy is a prisoner of war." But I know him. He's that famous tennis player. Let's whack him in a nice yeah. prison, <laughs> which is a bit. I wonder if like he was allowed a racket or something. <laughs> <laughs> May, I mean, maybe. I mean, you is know, there a tennis court in the in, in the Austrian castle? <laughs> Ooh, that's a very interesting. Hey, maybe a squash court. Maybe not tennis. That's a bit much. Yeah, but can you imagine you get like tennis? Like the best tennis tutor ever, and it's not like he can go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, there's good parts and bad parts to being in a Nazi prison. <laughs> I mean, at least the nice ones. So, um, however, Marie is moving through the castle, and actually, she's not looking uh, for her fellow French captives. What Marie is actually doing on this warm spring night is bringing a few drinks to the soldiers who have recently moved into the castle and who are currently keeping watch atop the castle ramparts which might give you an indication to why the guards are no longer around. So oh. the castle is no longer under Nazi control. And the first soldiers Marie greets as she moves up to the ramparts are Americans. So dressed in the kind of very standard tan US military fatigues and under the command of a cigar-chewing, and this is how he's described, a cigar-chewing New York captain, who I'll come to and explain a bit more about later. Um, but Marie, I mean, <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, it's kind of the stereotypical uh, US major captain, general, whatever. Um, so if you've got that in your head, that's what you should have in your head, because that is how he's described. Okay. Um, so Marie offers them a drink, wishes them well, and moves on. Now, bizarrely enough, the second group of soldiers Marie meets, they aren't American, they're not British, they're not French, they're not even Allied soldiers. They are, in fact, German soldiers who are dressed in their classic grey-green uniforms of the German Wehrmacht, which is the kind of German army, and they are standing alongside the American soldiers, keeping watch, and... No way. They're not, they're not fighting. I mean, that's the not easy fighting. way to put it. Yeah, they are standing side by side and working together. And that is kind of leading to where this very strange story goes into. Yeah, so wait, oh, I see. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm not going to say anything, but I've got a, I've got a theory in my head. You've got a theory, there you go. <laughs> yeah. um, so these soldiers are very tired from a very long day, and tired from an even longer war. Uh, and this is, you know, a war that they have, for most of it, fought on opposite sides of. But for this night, they are fighting as allies. And as Marie finally stands up on the ramparts herself and looks out to the dark forest surrounding them, she knows that there is an enemy to all of the soldiers there, American and German and the French prisoners, who are descending on them in the dead of night. So that is where I'll end our walkthrough, which is a pretty weird setup. I mean, that's kind of the whole walkthrough point, isn't it? To, to, to set up a strange story. Um, but yeah, so that, that's where we're at. So you've got American soldiers alongside German soldiers in an Austrian prison taken over by ex-Nazi ex soldiers <laughs> guarding French VIPs. So it's a very weird. multicultural a... thing here. Yeah. yeah, loving it. This is a good find. Um, okay. <laughs> so many questions, but I'll keep them until we're into... I'm sure you'll tell me everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that was more meant to, to, to create some leading questions. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it has done. <laughs> 
Well, let's let let's answer them. So let's start with the the castle itself. So Ita Castle, like I said, is a fortress built uh, in the hills above the village of Ita um, in Tyrol, which is in Western Austria, and it's near the border with Germany. Um, if you don't know your geography, Austria is just kind of below what used to what I mean. Now it's now part of a kind of greater Germany. Um, now being in, I'm, I'm overcomplicating things, <laughs> um, but yeah, near the near the border with Germany. Um, yeah. And in 1943, it was seized by Heinrich Himmler and transformed into this prison for French VIPs. And what's interesting is the reason he created this wasn't actually to help further the Nazi war effort. He actually set it up as a bit of an ace up his sleeve in case he himself was captured. So that if he was captured, which by 1943, when he set it up, probably quite likely that that was going to be the scenario that ended up. I mean, he could see the way the wind was blowing. I mean, he would know all the awful reports that were coming in about their their losses. So he went, if I could get this prison full of these very powerful, important French VIPs, if I get captured, I can then trade them for my own immunity. So he's already planning to kind of ditch the Nazi party. So they really are falling apart at the seams. Just for the uh, for the listener, Heinrich Himmler, if you don't know, is Mm. the head of the SS and the right hand man to Adolf Hitler and probably he the re- worst human being around. Ever. Yes, he really he really is uh I mean, uh, you know, second to he very much is second to Adolf Hitler in his power and his control and his cruelty and he's a really nasty piece of work. Um and apparently by 1943 was thinking maybe I need a way of saving myself and abandoning the Nazi cause. So he wasn't even loyal really to to the Nazi regime to a full extent. You know, he wasn't really hoping yeah. to die honorably he wanted to be able to trade himself and set himself with a nice villa in argentina or something by using these french prisoners so well, i guess i guess because he if he thought that it was all going to go tits up in the end he knows that he's going to be done for war crimes like oh he's absolutely. in real trouble if it goes badly for germany he is so fucked he can't like, really so blame it on anyone other than hitler and that's not a very far jump to go and said, no, it was all Hitler. I was, I mean, it's interesting. We can talk a little bit later, but there is a huge amount of towards the end of the war, people, nations starting to look at themselves and trying to work out, can we view ourselves as victims to the Nazi regime or are we complicit to the Nazi regime? And, you know, there is kind of no answer to that. Almost everyone to a greater or lesser degree is complicit or to a greater or lesser degree a victim because it's not a, it's not a clear cut and dry good guys versus bad guys it's a very interesting and complicated time politically where everyone i mean you know you could you could argue there were people in britain who were very much uh, appeasers to to the nazis and, and and we even had a king or an ex-king who was appeasing the nazis so it's not as cut and dry as that but i think in this case himmler's definitely a bad guy <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one yeah, yeah. is is fighting Himmler's corner. Yeah, yeah. On this one, that's a, that's a hot take from the Cloak and Dagger podcast. We are anti Heinrich Himmler, so if you can still writing up our policy, you can take uh, that manifest. to the bank. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. So the back to the uh, Ita Castle. So it was also uh, the castle itself was set up um, and by Heinrich Himmler, but placed under the watchful eye of a unit of SS guards and the command of the SS commander Sebastian Wimmer, uh, who apparently was a kind of drunken brute, which probably... Doesn't sound unlike most SS men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, they, you know, they... I'm really trying to not make it very obvious that they're the bad guys in this, but they kind of are, so... And it's... With the SS, though, again... They really are awful, yeah. They they wore black uniforms with skulls on their helmets, and and they're the (laughs) ones who... If you don't know your history, listener, the SS were like the fanatics of the mm, Nazi party. 100%. And they were responsible for most of the worst atrocities that the Germans committed, or the Nazis, sorry, committed. And in particular, these SS guards, I was trying to work out how to pronounce the specific type of SS they are, but it's it's a complicated German word there. But these are the SS guards. These are like the, the uh, division of the SS who were uh, strictly in charge of concentration camps. And actually, this prison is a kind of under the management of a local concentration camp, which is weird to say local concentration camps. It's like your local leisure center. Local pub. But the, yeah. yeah, yeah, the lo- you know, the, lo- the local Sainsbury's, you know, this was the division. They were they were a part of just the local 
um, concentration camp. So these are some really awful guards. Uh, however, by 1945, by May 1945, where our story takes place, even Vimmer, the SS commander, could see which way the wind was blowing. Uh, and it wasn't that hard to figure out because actually the commander of the local concentration camp had recently died under suspicious circumstances. Um, and so Vimmer was starting to fear for his life, as you would. Oh, I see. So he... W- Okay, because I always think- he was in charge of the prison, but the not in charge of the entire concentration camp uh, system in that area. Uh, but Got the commander sure. of that concentration camp had possibly just committed suicide, possibly just been That's killed by another say. member of the SS who disagreed with his ideological conviction. It's unsure, but Vimmer is starting to think. I need to get out of Dodge. This isn't this isn't going well. Uh, I mean, at this at this point, Hitler has shot himself. So it's very early in May, and he, oh. Hitler shoots himself right at the end of April. So if word has gotten out, anyone associated with the Nazi campaign who aren't fiercely loyal are now trying to get away because they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, yeah. So I think so many people, uh, lots of the generals committed suicide, didn't they? Mm. All died by suicide. Sorry. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was. It was. It was the very in thing for for German high command. Um, I mean, I guess you know, following from the the highest yeah. of the German command. I mean, if, if Adolf Hitler's committing suicide, you're probably on the wrong side. You're probably on the wrong end of the stick. So I think yeah. that makes that makes perfect sense. But actually, it'll be interesting. So remember that point because it'll be a, a good comparison to some later characters. Um, so on the third of May. Uh, 1945, Vimmer and all but one of the SS guards flee the castle and just go out into the Austrian Alps and try to get away. Um, and I'll come back to the the guy who stayed in a little bit. Sorry, I, I realise I've done that a few times here where I'm <laughs> gearing up for later, but it, it'll all make sense later. Okay. Um, okay. So now with the French, uh, with the guards gone, the French prisoners are now able to take control of the castle and arm themselves. But unfortunately, they're not able to leave. Because while they are no longer under the eyes of the SS guards who were um, imprisoning them, the Austrian Alps, especially near the border with Germany, is filled with these kind of roaming packs of SS groups or units who are kind of a bit rudderless. They are acting on some really awful last-ditch orders that have been sent to them. Uh, and they're kind of just roaming the countryside, executing people, attacking anyone who looks like they're surrendering. And uh, they're just these really dangerous... I mean, it is that kind of uh, desperation and men who are desperate and are probably looking for a honourable death in service to the Reich. So yeah. really desperate, dangerous men that are just roaming the countryside. So they can't leave because they know they'll get hunted down. And they know that these SS groups know about the prison and they know how important these VIPs are. And chances are they wouldn't get captured again and traded. They will just be shot as enemies to to, to the Nazi regime. So it's a really dangerous situation for them. They need then, help. Sorry, yeah. go. No, no, no. I was just going to say, the castle they're in, specifically because it has been a castle for so long, is clearly in a strategic position to defend from. I'd imagine Absolutely. I wouldn't yeah, want to yeah. leave anyway. If I was in yeah, their there's, shoes, I'd just... just thick like, walls you know, and, you know, couldn't stand up. Yeah. And just wait. <laughs> uh, well, they're French, so they'd pop up a bottle of wine, um, you know, and just, and just drink their troubles away. I mean, it's probably... Because that's the thing. They were treated quite well. They were given three square meals a day. They were allowed to drink with some of their meals. So they probably had a larder full of... Um, or a wine cellar full of good wine that they could they could slowly drink and forget about their dire situation. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, makes sense. And although that you know the castle is not going to stand up to, if a full uh, army battalion goes up against them with proper artillery, it's not going to hold up. But these packs of SS and I'm saying packs and that does sound dehumanizing, but I think it's justified because they are really brutal. Yeah, that's fine. Point. Yeah, these guys. Um, are... But they are. <laughs> kind of more lightly armed. They would have some smaller artillery, but possibly not enough to completely wipe out a castle. So these French prisoners would feel safer in Itter Castle. But they need yeah. help because they know they are surrounded by enemies and they need help soon. They need to be relieved and to be able to escape this situation. And luckily, there are American soldiers nearby. In fact, only a few towns away, a few massive divisions of the American military are moving through Austria because at this point Vienna has been taken over by the Soviets 
So most okay. of Austria is now under ally control, but not all of it, and not the region around Castle Itter. So they need to make contact to allies nearby. It's interesting also that um, I guess what's so important for the allies for, to get these guys out safely is when you've got to rebuild France from the ashes, you're going to need mm. those older statesmen who people know them to rally around them to reignite the country, uh, to reunite 100%. the country. And also having the tennis player, as funny as it is, like, again... <laughs> Yeah. You wouldn't want, if he died, that would just be crippling to the morale of the nation straight after. You know, imagine if they, you know, if they get, if they do die, then it would be awful. It'd be so yeah. bad for and, France. And saving, and saving these French prisoners, these very well-known figures, could really boost the, the, the morale of the French people, which at this point is, is in tatters because they've watched their country be destroyed. And so yeah. any boost and any help they can get... Uh, is going to be a boon. So yeah, it, it, they are an important strategic point of view, not just to mention the, the importance of their, themselves as, as human lives, but there is a, a, a huge benefit from saving them. So, and actually yeah. that, 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 that will probably lead into some of the decisions that the, American, the, the Americans make. So they need to find allies. And in order to find these allies, the castle's cook, who is a Czech man by the name of Andreas Krobot, because um, actually I didn't mention it earlier, but the although the castle is primarily for French VIPs, they also bring in uh, Eastern European citizens or prisoners of war from the concentration camps to work at the castle as labourers and as staff and as servants. So there are also a number of um, Eastern Europeans, and one of them is this Czech cook named Andreas. And he volunteers to hop on a bike and cycle to the nearby town of Virgil, which is a pretty ballsy move, given the fact there are <laughs> just packs of roaming SS units wandering the, the, the woods. Um, yeah. But he succeeds, and he makes all the way to Virgil, and he meets a man named Major Josef Gangel, who is a very interesting figure and is going to be rather important in our story. So to give you, you a brief... A major, for, what, a major in which army? Well, that is the question. So, Josef okay, okay. Gangel uh, was a major in the German army in the in the Wehrmacht. Um, however, in the last few weeks, I believe it is, he has defied an order of retreat and has instead, with uh, the the battalion he has got left, has joined forces with the Austrian resistance in Virgil. So he's kind of switched sides in a in a very shocking turn of events but the reason he's doing this is partly because he has lost all loyalty to the nazi regime he's kind of become uh he, whether you know it's it's difficult to know how many uh german soldiers really believed in the cause or whether they were just forced to and it, it's interesting to know it'd be interesting to know whether gangle was always a bit tentative about the the nazi policies or whether or not it was just the way he saw the war was going and the treatment of his soldiers uh, caused yeah. him to change sides but he was really worried about um, both his men's safety and the safety of the townsfolk of Wurgel where he had been stationed because these SS soldiers who were roaming around have been given orders to execute anyone surrendering to the Americans or anyone flying oh. the Austrian flag which a lot of these townsfolk are now doing because they know this American army is coming and they're like you know we're Austrians again. After all this time, let's go back to being Austrians. Let's surrender to the Americans. But these SS soldiers, these fanatics, will just start firing into houses if they see a white flag or an Austrian flag. I mean, they're really awful. And Gangel yeah. is not about that. He's already defied orders to retreat. He's defied orders to join the SS in executing civilians. He's not about that. He seems quite a nice guy. Um, and he... So he finds out about this castle and all these French prisoners. And he responds immediately, but he knows he can't help the castle by himself. So what does he do? He grabs a white flag, jumps in a Jeep and drives to the nearest American unit. This major of the German army drives straight at the invading American forces to ask for help, which is I mean, the, the, the cook ballsy. was pretty ballsy riding out, but this guy, he knows he's been given orders to shoot anyone 
waving a white flag, and yet he picks up a white flag to go seek help from the Americans. God. And this sort of, I'm just imagining, like, this sort of mountainous country. It's like a mm. Wild West scenario where there, there are no real rules to who's no. fighting who, and it's like blue-on-blue blue fighting, and it's just, it must have been terrifying. It'd be Allegiances like be at this citizen. time are completely fluid. No one really knows what's going on. Um, I mean, because it's these dangerous points at the end of the war where everyone is unsure of themselves. And I'm sure there'll be other instances like this across Europe where loyalties are being dropped. People are now looking out for themselves because there's no longer this this momentum of the German army. So they need to start prioritizing. And so whether or not yeah. he was just being pragmatic or whether he chose it's, you know, I'm, I'm not going to kill civilians like these SS soldiers. I want to protect them. And, and the only people I can get to help me in that is ostensibly my former foe, the Americans. So very interesting, interesting. situation. Very interesting. I, I remember reading up that the SS were given orders um, that if for whatever reason they'd lose the war, that they would then have to become an underground military force fighting as like a resistance occupation, mm. a resistance to the occupation. So, you know, I mean, they're, they're, just, they're so indoctrinated, these people. They're killers. They don't care. Like, yeah. I, they be, they're the most terrifying people in Europe at this time, I would say. Yeah, yeah, really terrifying. So actually, I, I, if it, that that's probably what's going on in here, is that these SS units are holding on to old orders and and honestly probably slightly warped orders i mean you know as as awful as the actual orders probably coming down from nazi command would have been anyway yeah. when you're rudderless and you're unsure you can really warp get a warped perception perception on what you need to be focusing on and so yeah. uh, major gangle was probably responding to that and seeing these fanatical soldiers going mad and getting blood drunk and just pillaging and destroying this Austrian countryside, and he wanted to yeah. put a stop to it, which is a pretty mm. hero well, move, I've got to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay. Major Angle drives off and meets the first unit he finds is the 23rd Tank Battalion of the US 12th Armored Division, and he meets a man named Captain Jack Lee Jr., who is the cigar-chewing, rough-talking, hard-drinking army captain that we spoke about earlier. Uh, and that is legitimately how he is repeatedly <laughs> described. Um, so, uh, you know, you can kind of imagine the guy... I'm imagining him never having a cigar out of his mouth. Like, he's always chewing yeah. on it. He's always, you know... But then he responds remarkably because this German major, who's actually higher rank than him rides up in a jeep waving a white flag telling him of this of this austrian castle housing these french prisoners and saying they there are ss soldiers closing in on them we need to save them and captain lee agrees and so decides he gets clearance from his superiors because obviously he's part of a larger force and on the 4th of may so this is only a day after the uh, ss guard leave the castle itter so this is all happening very rapidly in the same, like, 48 hours. So on the 4th of May, Captain Lee and Major Gangle leading a company of 14 American soldiers, 10 German soldiers, and one Sherman tank arrive at Ita Castle to a slightly frosty welcome from the French prisoners who were kind of hoping when they sent their cookout to get a full division of American soldiers and instead get a, get a really small force half made up of Germans who they're probably not a big fan of. So very strange. I mean, I think what had happened is that the American divisions were being bombarded by other SS troops. They were getting bogged down. They weren't moving through smoothly. So they could only spare some... Uh, some soldiers and actually they did yeah. send more tanks I think it was originally they were sent off with five tanks however they first went to the town of Virgil where the Austrian resistance still were and Major Gangle who had actually at this point become the leader of the Austrian resistance bizarrely so he so rather than just joining with them he became their leader he is convinced to leave behind uh, a number of their tanks to help protect the town from other SS soldiers. So, well, that that's good actually. Mm. I mean, it's not good for the the guys at the, the top, castle. But like, yeah, you've got village like the whole village of people, and these are just a few Frenchmen. You know, like he he needs to prioritize. Hundred percent. Yeah. So Captain Lee and Major Gangle are 
you know, pragmatic and they need to spread out their force to help protect all these civilians. You know, they're not just focused on the on the castle. But yeah. those two do stay with the convoy heading to the castle and set up shop at Ita Castle, ready to defend the, this this group of French VIPs. So wait, they've got two tanks stationed at the castle. How many men? One tank stationed at oh, the sorry, castle. Sorry, one tank. So they one actually tank. so there was five tanks originally. Three of them they left in the village, and then okay. t- and took two of them to the castle. However, on the route they crossed over a bridge, and Captain Lee ordered one of the tanks to stay behind to to guard the bridge. So I guess okay. to not be able to snuck to, to so they weren't snuck up behind. Um, cool. So they only arrive at the castle with 14 American soldiers, 10 German soldiers, and one Sherman tank. So 24 soldiers, plus yeah. however many... Uh, so you're talking about less than like 50 people then in the castle? Yes, less than 50 people. Some of which, and a good chunk of which, are elderly French prime ministers. Um, a lot of the French VIPs' uh, family were also there. You've also got Marie, who's uh, pottling about, you know helping where she can so it's not the elite team that i think the french prisoners were hoping for but it is what they have there is also one more person i should mention so remember when i said that not all of the ss guard had left with commander vimmer see i there was a reason i said it Um, (laughs) foreshadowing (laughs) so the one man who remained is a man named captain kurt siegfried schrader uh, who was a SS officer who uh, had been brought to the castle. I think he wasn't part of the guard force, but he'd been brought there due to an injury. And he had actually befriended a lot of the French prisoners. So, And like Major Gangle, had started to become a bit disassociated with the Nazi regime and was a bit unsure of himself. So when all of his fellow SS guards left, he stayed behind. And the French prisoners asked him to take over the defense of their castle. So they'd sent off their Czech cook to find help anywhere, but they said, well, we need to defend ourselves in the meantime. So they kind of appoint this ex-SS officer, Captain Trader, to show up their defenses and take charge of the defense of the castle. I'm surprised his fellow SS men let him stay. Like, you know. I think at that point, it's interesting to, yeah, it's interesting to know the kind of, the focus. I mean, they're running and they're probably not too bothered. I mean, if he's in any way an obstacle to them getting away, no one's going to die trying to kill him if they're fleeing for their life. He was also yeah, injured, so he possibly probably just kind of ignored him. Um, yeah. So, it, yeah, it's an interesting scenario, the kind of different loyalties between the SS, the SS guard. Because obviously the guard who were there can't have been as fanatical as the the troops roaming around the countryside i mean for all i know i'm not sure but maybe some of them went out and joined them and just thought yeah we're not really that safe in this castle because we're going to be a target for the americans so maybe we either flee for our lives or we flee and and join the the troops outside so that's the final the final piece in this defense puzzle so here we are on the night of the 4th of May, 1945, you've got a group of French VIP prisoners led by an ex-SS Nazi captain, a small unit of American infantrymen led by a New York US Army captain, and an even smaller unit of German soldiers led by an ex-German Army major turned Austrian resistance fighter. And they are all working together to defend this 13th century castle in the Austrian Alps. It's just a mad story. It, it's amazing how this isn't already a film. Do you know what I mean? That just it screams well, of like a... Interestingly, a there is a book about this, which I've read a little bits of this in the research for that, and supposedly there was hints that it was going to turn into a film, but that was suggested in 2015, so presumably not anytime Get soon. Get funding. But yeah, fair. Yeah, who, who knows? But it's it feels like it should be a film or a short series or something, because yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's just the most bizarre story. Um so that's where we're at. And just to give a brief description of the uh, SS soldiers uh, that are kind of de- closing in on them, because at this point, the defenders of the castle know that there is a division of the SS who are out in the woods who are now coming for them. They have decided to descend on the castle and kill or capture or destroy anyone inside it. And they are from the Waffen SS, which is supposedly the most fanatic division of the SS. They are the 17th SS Panzer Grenada Division, if 
that means to any anything to any of our listeners. Um, and as we've said, you know, these are SS soldiers who have are still loyal to the regime despite uh, Berlin falling and uh, Hitler committing suicide, and probably a number of other of their own commanders committing suicide. So yeah. it's really scary what they're up against. I mean, it's hard, you know, it's easy to say there's good and... It, it, it's perhaps too easy to villainize enemies in wars. And actually, this is a really interesting case where you can see that there are good and bad on both sides of this war because you've got these German soldiers and even an ex-German SS officer on the side of the Allies. But you still yeah. have these really fanatical, truly horrific SS soldiers who are still loyal to probably the most, well, that's probably a bit far, but one of the most hateful regimes in human history. And so yeah. it's easy to see these guys as the bad guys. As much as that, you yeah. know, Mitchell and Webb in their black, look sketches in their black with their black skull hats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> are we the bad guys? <laughs> are we the bad guys? These guys are definitely the bad guys. Um, if you've seen that meme, look it up. It's brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's hard not to keep referencing it throughout this. But that's the thing. Maybe that's what um, Major uh, Yosef Gangel was saying to one of his um, fellow comrades going, I think we're the bad guys. Maybe we should stop this and join the Austrian resistance and go talk to the Americans because they seem a lot more chill about, you know, civilian casualties and stuff like that. Yeah. I also know that um, to make the, the SS even more scary, they um, they used methamphetamines during oh, they battle. Were absolutely so insane. They were, they were all hyped up, and fucking, which was apparently... Yeah. Because that's also one of the they they consider one of the missteps by the Nazi armies. They did use a lot of drugs, which uh, can get you going for maybe a few hours, but you crash and then you're useless. So yeah, not as effective. But they, yeah, so they were into some really weird pseudoscience techniques to to win the war, which obviously didn't work, and yeah. leads them into the position they are now. But I wonder, you know, maybe these soldiers roaming the Austrian Alps they could be on high in amphetamines as well so you know the other thing i was just thinking about it okay i'm pretty well i never had methamphetamines myself but i imagine they're fairly addictive if you've Presumably. just been on some sort of regime of mm. microdosing methamphetamines for the last four years and suddenly your supply gets cut like yeah. i think that would send a guy who is also a war criminal over the edge you know like no wonder they yeah. had so many issues with these guys Anyway, yeah, kind of terrifying, <laughs> kind of tweaked out, maniacal Nazi maniacs just running around the countryside executing people. So it's very easy to see them as bad guys. I think we can very much be on the side of the defenders, uh, despite. Sorry. Although I, I do find it interesting. It's this is, uh, it's it's such an interesting dynamic of having German and American soldiers just readying themselves for this battle. I think there is another case in World War Two where they fought alongside, um, but this was like kind of really. At this point, it was almost entirely unique, but to have American soldiers fighting alongside German soldiers. So, yeah, I, I've never heard of this story. It's completely new to me. Yeah. So, the night's over, and in at dawn on the 5th of May 1945, battle breaks out. So, about 150 to 200 SS soldiers descend upon Ita Castle, uh, and it's roughly, I think it's roughly about 40 defenders. So easily oh four to one. So not good odds, but they do have a strong castle. They do have one tank and they do have, I guess, the expertise of both uh, the American military and the German military on their side in some weird way. And maybe some French wisdom from the from the old French prime ministers. Or from, no, or from Marie. I mean, she is a de Gaulle after all. 100%, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I, I imagine her to be crucial in the... As the uh, unfortunately, there isn't a lot of information about her activities during the battle. So I'm naturally going to assume that she was fighting alongside all the soldiers. Because I think that's just yeah. a natural assumption to make for a 56-year-old uh, French resistance fighter. It, I can't really imagine it any other way, her not fighting. So 100%, that's where we're going to go with it. Um, okay, let's actually, get this battle on. So interesting enough, uh, Captain Lee, who he has actually kind of been placed in charge, despite the fact he is lower rank than the major, um, I guess because he's the American, he's the Allied Force commander, he's nominally placed in charge. And he does actually ask the French prisoners to hide. However, they refuse. And they all uh, pick up arms that were left by the SS Guard and fight along the American soldiers. 
and, and German soldiers. Oh, and that's very really amazing. They fight alongside German soldiers who have been keeping them captive. I mean, you know, American soldiers, it's a big deal to fight alongside their enemies. But these, these are French prime ministers who've watched their country completely decimated by German soldiers, and now they are taking up arms to fight with them. So it's a really, yeah. really remarkable, heroic tale. Um, it is. And, and we naturally assume Marie is fighting alongside them, along with any other able-bodied woman who was inside the castle. So tennis to, Yeah. To get into um, the, the battle itself, the one tank that the Americans had brought up, the Sherman tank, which was nicknamed Besotten Jenny, because Americans love nicknaming their tanks, um, Lee parks yeah. it uh, right at the main entrance, so kind of inside the main gate, to block oncoming attackers and to be like a main uh, focus uh, for their kind of artillery, their guns. You know, it's a powerful machine, so it can really hold them back. However, yeah. as the day goes on, it is actually destroyed by some anti-tank artillery guns that the Germans have. Um, they really so, wow okay yeah so it gets destroyed i mean obviously parked in a good place so it still kind of blocks the entrance and luckily the guy who was working on it survives unharmed so it was still being used but i think i guess it was hit by a by a shell but didn't immediately explode but it started leaking fuel so he managed to duck out of it and get away before it blows up um so lucky him however and as the day goes on the defenders continue to hold out really remarkably um, they suffer only a few injuries and they are really kind of holding their own. However, they are losing ammunition. They are running low on, on supplies. They can't hold out forever. They only have limited supplies that they brought with them. They're small divisions that arrived, what was left over from the SS guards. They're in real trouble because they need, and what they're hoping for is that the bulk of the American division, which was actually the 142nd Infantry Regiment, um, which is nearby, is able to relieve them in time before they run out of bullets. So every bullet they're firing, they're one step closer to complete obliteration, and they're just trying to hold out until the Americans can arrive. And they are able to do it throughout the day with focused fire and presumably some great military tactics from Captain Lee and Major Gangle and uh, Captain Schrader, so an SS officer, an American officer, and a German general or German major, they're able to hold back the SS troops until about three o'clock when they are really in dire straits. And while they have been able to get make contact with the uh, 142nd Infantry Regiment, the line of communication was cut off before Captain Lee was able to explain or detail where the SS positions were. So he knows that these Americans are arriving, but they don't have enough information to kind of roll straight through because they will need to act kind of more cautiously. They don't know where the, the SS soldiers are, so they might not be able to make it in time. And here's possibly the, 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 the most amazing part of the story. So remember the tennis pro, Jean Barotra? Yes. He volunteers to vault the castle walls and run out through the SS soldiers' positions to make contact with the 142nd and deliver the message that Captain Lee was unable to do via via the phone. And he... he jumped, wait, he... He jumped a 15-foot castle wall, which is... I mean, that's how it's described. I guess he rolled and was able to make it down. He changes clothes. He actually puts on um, peasant Austrian clothes and just kind of runs slash strolls through the forest. He is spotted by SS soldiers, but just pretends to be an Austrian peasant and kind of like does a bit of foraging and just wanders off and is largely ignored by the SS soldiers. He sprints all the way to the 402nd Infantry and is able to relay and say, look, we need you right now. This is where all the um, SS soldiers are you can roll on through. And what's even more amazing is when he arrives, he asks for American uniform so he can join the force to relieve the castle. So he comes oh, back man. with a force of American soldiers. And by 4pm, the SS soldiers are completely scattered by the American soldiers. Over 100 of them are captured, uh, probably about half that are killed, and the rest scatter to the wind, and the castle wow. is saved. That's amazing. So wait, yeah. I was just quickly, I was just wondering, did the SS, uh, was there any sort of like 
did they just attack or was there any way of like negotiating with these guys or oh no absolutely or... they 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 surrounded the castle kind of attacked on all sides uh focused fire where they could i think once the sherman tank was destroyed they made a real push and a lot of the defenders kind of closed in and went inside the the castle proper so not just within the walls and this is right towards the end so this is when they're really in dire straits and they are probably minutes away from the ss soldiers breaking into and as soon as they're into the castle those they're they're you know they can well, fight with, their, their, with yeah, knives yeah. and hands but they're gonna get killed and once that and once the ss soldiers are in they could probably hold out against the americans when they arrive so it's really touch and go for these last few minutes when this tennis pro makes this daring run and is able to bring the the, the full force of the american uh infantry division down upon the ss soldiers yeah it's insane um did any of the uh was there any casualties at all then so the ss soldiers as i say about, I think it's only recorded that 100 of them were, t- were captured. Presumably around about half of that, half of them were died and the rest were scattered. It's not clear. Uh, for yeah. the defenders, they only suffered four minor injuries and one casualty. And the casualty was Major Josef Gangel, the one oh. German. And he was shot by a sniper while trying to protect one of the French prime ministers. So, I mean, that is... Just remarkable. Think of where this war started with German soldiers rolling into France and destroying. And right at the end of the war, this hero German major sacrifices his life to defend a a French prime minister who he'd never met before, has no connection with, but he laid down his life to defend him. And he's the the one casualty. Just thinking about that sniper, though, right? He's looking yeah. down the barrel of his of his gun, and he can probably see other targets, which are like American soldiers. Yeah, he chooses to kill a German. That's just so cold. Well, cold no, it, it, most likely he was trying to shoot the French prime minister, and all oh, that. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And the, and and Major Gangle uh, said because he was trying to pull him to safety because these French prime ministers didn't give a fuck and grabbed weapons and were firing at all of the um, German SS soldiers the entire time, so they weren't hiding. Which is a little sad because maybe they put themselves in a bad situation and Gangle had to save maybe them. Maybe they couldn't defend the wall zone without the help of the, the French. I mean, it, with it being so touch and go, probably every gun was worth it. Every bullet was was, was crucial. So, yeah, I think maybe without without the French yeah. Prime Minister's actions and then without Gangle's actions, uh, it wouldn't have ended so successfully. So after what everything... I mean, it's, it, is, it is remarkable. And nicely... Major Gangle is actually, despite being, I think he's from Bavaria, or the Kingdom of Bavaria, yeah. uh, he's actually honoured as a Austrian national hero and actually has a street named after him in the town of Virgil, where he was a, really? uh, he joined oh. the Austrian fighters. And then Captain Lee is uh, awarded the Distinguished Service Cross, which is the one uh, medal lower than the Medal of Honour. So it's, wow. which I think is a bit rough. I mean, he did an amazing job. Uh but I get—I I don't know. I'm not an American general, so I, I don't get to make that call. But yeah. and actually, interestingly, That's so because you've also got um, uh, Captain Schrader, the SS officer. He actually yeah. is—he because he—I mean—he is still an SS officer, so he is sentenced to two years in prison, but gets out early, most likely because well, you know, a huge part of his uh, his early release will have been because of his actions on this day. So even though. I mean, you know, there's only so much uh, mercy they can give to an SS officer. He still was part of that regime. But in the end, you know, it's nice that he's... I kind of like that ending for him. You know, he is still punished for the the bad that he did, but is then also rewarded for the good he did right at the end. Yes, that that is good. I do wonder, though, at uh, what war crimes he committed before then, you know, like... Oh, it's it's, it's very interesting. I mean, for all we know... I mean, I, I, there was only so much information I could find out about um, uh, Major Josef Gangel. Uh, he seemed like a, quite a well-decorated German soldier. He's not part of the SS, so most likely he was only involved in more traditional military activities. Obviously, killing French, American, British, Soviet soldiers who were allies. But he is a soldier. He can't really be blamed for that. But it's more interesting about Captain Schrader, who was an SS officer, probably yeah. would have been involved in some truly horrific stuff uh and 
was punished for that, rightfully so. But it shouldn't be that shouldn't be so much of a mark against him that the heroic deeds he does, he he takes at the castle of Itter, are ignored. So I think it's yeah, no, fair. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's that's good. It's a it's a very heroic ending. I mean, it's so sad that they do lose uh, Major Joseph Gangle. Interestingly enough, that the book um, very much puts Captain Lee as the hero of the tale. Um, which I can kind of see. I mean, he really is the kind of swaggering American hero. But yeah. when I was when I was reading up on this, I really was just impressed by Gangle because I think it's just that's such a journey to go on. To I mean, because and I wonder whether or not he even considered himself to be a traitor because I don't. I wouldn't consider himself a traitor. He was loyal to the German and Austrian people who he is, you know, a, a brother to really, you know, in a kind of unified spirit and more uh, should be more loyal to them than to this bizarre, fucked up Nazi regime. And so yeah. I think it's 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 really admirable that in this moment, right at the end of the war, he decides to put his own life at risk to defend allies, to defend enemy soldiers against who he sees Manistee. as... Yeah, to defend humanity, to defend good people against just the worst scum of the world, the of the of the you know the villains among villains. I mean, that's really what the SS Absolutely. soldiers are, really. So, so Can yeah. I ask so that one is. More question. is yes. um What happens? Do you know what happens to Himmler? Because I actually don't know. Did he? Did he ever make it? I don't know what happens to Himmler. Uh, is he at the Nuremberg trials? I can't remember. I mean, he's a, probably a coward who probably did kill himself. He did. Uh, that's probably that, 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 that's a bit rough to suicide, but sorry, that's maybe, maybe aggressive. But he's he's yeah, awful guy. So, and I'll quickly look it up. Um, oh Christ! He while in British custody, he committed suicide. Oh, in, at the on the twenty third of May, nineteen forty five. So a couple of weeks after. Uh, so I mean. Maybe he found out about this. He was in British custody, probably was thinking, well, I've got this ace up my sleeve. I've got this castle in Austria holding all these French uh, VIPs. Finds out that through some heroic deeds of American and German soldiers, uh, the castle is liberated and goes, well, fuck it. I guess I've got no, I'm no longer safe. Yeah. Maybe interesting. I mean, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I mean, also seems unlikely that in British custody he would have up to date information about a small castle in Austria. But for our story, I like to believe that this was what clinched it. The uh, a few uh, led to him losing all hope and and uh, dying by suicide. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Nice. Well, that was a great story, Patrick. I really enjoyed. So that. yeah. Yeah, that was that was that was our tale. I mean, I mean, not quite as, I don't know, as visually as dramatic as I think your story was last week, which I won't spoil in case people are listening to this and haven't listened to last week's. But I still think it's a it's it's a really interesting political tale, and just seeing how even in war, regardless of what nationality you are technically from or what army you've been fighting for. Being a good person still matters, and being a hero is still possible no matter which side you fight on. If you just you just have to choose to be that hero, and that's what Gangle did. That's what Schrader did. That's also what Lee did, but not as hard of a. I mean, but he still went out with only ten of his own soldiers to help defend this castle. So still a bit yeah. of a hero. And no, I, yeah, really is a remarkable tale. It, it's well, a, it's that a was great, brilliant. It's a great story of I don't know hope, human goodness i don't know it's it, it's a nice way to end a, an episode we're normally so negative on this on this podcast talking about assassinations and bloody murders and all sorts of things so it's nice despite in the probably one of the worst times in human history you get this lovely story there's still of, little of, glimmers of light that come yeah. through <laughs> so oh, i hope you enjoyed that to end it on. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I hope i hope it's a story you haven't heard before dear listener um and and if you haven't it's it, it's nice to see that you can see War's never as simple as good guys be bad guys. It's yeah, sometimes. And if any of you, yeah. if any of you are film producers, let us know because this would definitely be uh, <laughs> should be made. It really, it not really that we have be. the license for, <laughs> for this history. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. It, if you know any film producers, this is something that would definitely yeah. go down well. 
And you know what? <laughs> I think this is even bizarre. If you really enjoyed this story and you would like to somehow experience it in your own way, obviously there's the book, but <laughs> there's also a board game that allows you to reenact the Battle of Itter Castle. It's called the Battle of Itter Castle, and it's like a, I don't know, like a, just a board game where you try and hold out against increasingly deadly waves of SS soldiers as you wait for soldiers the, for the Americans to arrive. Haven't looked too much oh, into we- it. We might have to pay it because <laughs> we, we like board games. Um, but yeah, I guess you can dive into that if you if you want to if you want to. I don't know if it will really teach you more about the about the battle. Um, but maybe you can experience it and see if you can do be as successful as the def- as the real defenders were and only have one casualty. Maybe you can have no casualties. You can save Gangle. That's what I'm going to do yeah. if I'm going to try and play it. He rubbed off on you, didn't he? Yeah, um, yeah. I really, well, I really like. Well, actually, you know what? Because we said at the beginning of the podcast, check out Instagram. I'll put a photo of him. All the other photos of the of the gen. Well, actually, it's weird. I think it's just bias against um, uh, enemy combatants because the I'll put up a few photos of the SS commanders they look miserable they look evil they look awful whereas uh gangle and lee they're smiling they're having a laugh they look like they look great <laughs> crack they're just they're, they look great so take a look okay, on the instagram cool. and you can see what he looks like brilliant so well thank you for that story patrick yes thank you very much um do you want to give us a heads up on what we're doing what we're going to be diving into next week well it's going to be quite hard to follow that great episode so <laughs> thank you um, but uh, no, next week uh, we are going to be looking into a battle which actually brought down an entire empire, pretty much. And also, it's it's got a real twist to it. It's not some sort of like normal battle <laughs> that happens. Well, yeah, I mean that's a, that, a twist to it. That's what we've been trying to go for with this series: is get some more interesting battles. But that's cool. Yeah, down an entire yeah, yeah, yeah. empire. Ooh, intrigue. It's a shit. It could be- shit. <laughs> yeah, it's a really <laughs> shit battle for one side. <laughs> right, right, okay, fair, fair, fair. That's cool. But uh, until next time, thank you very much. I was going to say, I've been Patrick Courtney. We don't end like that, do we? I've been Patrick Courtney, and this is um, The Cloak and Dagger. Maybe we should start doing that. You've been listening to The Cloak and Dagger podcast. <laughs> is that, that's how like BBC podcasts end. It's like BBC podcast. You've been listening to. We need someone else to record a little snippet at the end saying, You've been listening yeah, to. Yeah, yeah the Cloak and Dagger podcast. Okay, well, whatever. Thanks, and and see you next week.